Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, and today we'll be looking at 2009's Harry Brown versus 2010's The Next Three Days. I just realised I said joined as always, but maybe I was just warming you in. Making me feel welcome, that's nice. Yeah. Keenan being absent and me not normally being on this pod, but that's alright. We keep rolling, we keep rolling. I guess... If it was like podding as always, it would make more sense. So maybe if people just interpret it that way, we're all good. Maybe you just start these with, look, I'm here again. Someone will be <laughs> yeah. with me. Yeah. Um, never more true than the one I did on my own, which <laughs> was brutal even just listening to it back while editing. But <laughs> when it gets around finals time, can't that schedule waits for no one. You've obviously got that natural charisma to carry a pod on exactly. your own. I think, I think that's obvious. Well, it's not good when you're having to do the little giggle, like laugh at your own jokes, because you can feel the awkwardness <laughs> before anyone else has even listened to it. Actual tumbleweed appears in your room. Like uh, Jimmy doing the uh, What Great Audience in South Park. That was the, that was the equivalent, <laughs> just with hopefully less stuttering. <laughs> anyway... It's a very hot day again. We are doing this remotely this time, so uh, oh, me, you may have a fan on. I can't hear it if so. I'm uh, not risking it. So My gas is a lot cooler than yours. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it pain. is. <laughs> I'm in less pain than I was in on Monday. Yeah. Got there eventually. Mm. Um, news of the week this week, not much at all. So Anna de Armas, who holds action roles in No Time to Die, The Grey Man, and the John Wick spin-off Ballerina says she is worried she'll be typecast in the genre. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't want to be typecast, would she? Tough one, that, because I feel like once you've had a taste of the money you're probably getting from doing a John Wick spin-off, a James Bond film, yeah, uh, and a film with Chris Pratt and Ryan Gosling. Are you willing to take that pay cut? And then she's also, her next one coming out is her is Marilyn Monroe. So I'm sure that's not gone too I was, cheap. I was going to say, she was in Knives Out, wasn't she? So in Knives Out was her first big break. She played yeah. um, Vinnie Paz's girlfriend at the start of, um, I forgot what he's even called now, uh, Bleed for This. Yeah. She's in War Dogs. Yeah. But she barely spoke English at that point. People will want to put her in anything. And... If you're no fit, complaints. If you're fit, you can kind of people will go. I'll put you in anything. So, basically, whatever film she wants, she can probably pick up. There, there's a gap in her resume for a rom com. I feel knives out. You've shown you've got some comedic timing. Aaron Gosling having... in a rom com. I do feel a bit sickly there. Um, I feel like I'm slightly protective over someone that I will never meet, or if I did meet, I mean. I don't need to tell you how the result would go, but Keenan gets quite angsty when I have Anna Diarmas headlines on here. But what can you do? Doesn't want you getting your grubby bits on her. I can't blame her. <laughs> I was about not. to say I'm I'm very protective of Ryan Gosling as well, but I, you're <laughs> obviously going down a different route. 
Well, Jordan Peele says he has told Daniel Kaluuya, you're my De Niro. <laughs> Which I do quite like that. I do quite like I love it. it. Yeah, that's great. Oh, we always say, though, no one takes this seriously when Sandler gets his boys back every time. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe a slightly different quality of film, one might argue, but... <laughs> he. He's just had his latest film commissioned for Happy Madison in that like massive Netflix deal he's got. Oh, God. And it's him and alongside Edina Menzel after Uncut Gems. Mm. And it's a rom-com based at Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong here? And it's got his wife and kids in it. So I mean, he, everyone's he getting really a piece is. of that Netflix yeah, money. He's getting everyone involved. Uh, I, I read the kind of article about it and it said uh, there will be a familiar cast as is to be expected when Adam, <laughs> Adam Sandler makes a movie. And finally this week, Mickey Rourke has called out Tom Cruise saying he's irrelevant as an actor. I did see this. Is he just trying to like start a beef? What's the... Yeah, it's one of them. It's like... Um... I mean, I forgot his name. Uh, Joe Laws, when he was calling that Devin Haney, um, where it's like you're trying to do it for clicks and saying the other person's desperate. Yeah. We can all see how this looks. So is your boy with Drake, and you're like, come on, let's, let's come because on. Like, I mean, Mickey Rourke is still Mickey Rourke, but when you put him alongside Tom Cruise, probably the most recognizable action star in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. the other thing. The points he was making, I thought there was some validity to the way he's basically saying he's doing the same thing yeah. over and over and basically getting the credit for it, which after a certain point in Tom Cruise's career has kind of become true, but he's very good at it. And by contrast, because Rourke's career at the same time has not been quite the same. Yeah, go and make a wrestler too, or <laughs> keep, it, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> or go say it to The Rock. Pick on someone a bit bigger. <laughs> I like. I'm going to enjoy if everything is reduced to. I'll do that to The Rock then. You know, like with the Will Smith slap. <laughs> yeah. If you do this to The Rock, then I'll respect you. Well, there we go. There is your news of the week. So we will start today with Harry Brown. In a neighborhood falling apart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One man has reached the breaking point. Did you ever kill anyone? Michael Caine's finest performance. The number of deaths are attributed to a vigilante. Caine balances ferocity and frailty. Talk to the police and what did you lot do? Nothing. A masterful performance. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. Harry Brown, rated R, starts Friday. An elderly ex-serviceman and widower looks to avenge his best friend's murder by doling out his own form of justice. I assume you had seen this before. I had seen this one before. I hadn't seen the other film before. I'm just looking. We've done a couple of British ones in this bracket already. We've done Statch. We've done Lockstock. And we've done Kidulthood. And I think there's another somewhere as well that we've done. But this one I'm sure will get a better treatment than Kidulthood did. <laughs> Mainly as it's not following Goodfellas. Yeah, that's a tough break. What do you think the critics thought of this? 
I've got a feeling I like it. So, although Kane lives up to expectations in this nicely crafted, though violent film, the oversimplified story he's given to work with keeps it from the top of Kane's impressive filmography. Kane, that master of gentle sadness, lets us know Harry immediately as a good man trying to get by and trying to understand what seems like madness. The master of gentle sadness. Is that a tag you want? You cry. Is it basically what that's saying? You're a crier. <laughs> In the hands of a lesser actor, this would feel just as cliched as it sounds, but Kane brings his smarts as well as his baggage to the character, making him more than another mad as hell guy with a gun. This is fucking... These are some wild takes. Because I've, I've got some thoughts on Michael Caine here, but <laughs> we can get into that. This is... He's our first topic, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. Stylishly filmed in a grimy palette of putrescent green and muddy brown, the movie seems at times almost to revel in the nastiness it depicts. <laughs> the nastiness klaxon has been sounded. Yes, we've, I've missed it. I mean, I was going to get to it later, but at the point when um, Noel is being arrested, there's a woman on the street that goes, you nasty piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> and I immediately wrote it down <laughs> and finally you can see why Kane would want to play Harry Brown it's not so clear why he'd want to be in Harry Brown Bruceful. I thought they would like it based on I thought that they normally give Kane a certain amount of sort of uh, gravitas but it seems yeah. they're only giving Kane credit and the film is just yeah it was it was largely, uh, probably 60-40-ish. Um, just very samey with the, with the critical responses. There is a bit of a thing where British films do get very harshly treated by American audiences. And I see this just in watching like Battle Rap or something like that. Anyone that doesn't have a London accent is they just find the freakiest thing. Like, there's someone yeah. who travelled to America recently and they were from Blackburn, I think. Somewhere somewhere around that area. My comments are saying like they can't understand him and it's it's not that outrageous. When you think of so many accents that we hear. Yeah, I guess it would be like you know, like an Alabama accent as well, yeah. wouldn't it? Where you go, Well look, it's not like I can't make out what you're saying. It sounds very different, but I can understand it. If it was Brummy or something, I'm like, okay, I can maybe see where we're starting to get to here. Yeah, uh, Scouse or like a Glaswegian accent or whatever must yeah, really, really yeah. fuck with them. Um, so Michael Caine then, I was having a look back at kind of the time uh, at which this gets made. So he's been playing Alfred as his most recognisable role from about 2005. I imagine he kind of got into it the year before. He does... Bewitched with Will Ferrell and Nicole Kidman, if you can remember that, that they thought was just going to be huge, and it's just a massive flop. Jesus. Um, he does Children of Men, The Prestige. He does a lot of films where he's magicians. He's doing Now You See Me 3 at the moment, by the way, I saw. Um, okay. And then he does The Dark Knight before he does Harry Brown. Now, after Harry Brown, he does Inception, and there's a couple of smaller ones sprinkled in. Do you think in taking this role, because he he's by far and away the biggest name in the film, 
Do you think it's maybe part convenience and something just a bit more interesting for him before he goes back to the blockbusters? He's filming closer to home. He says he identified with the character, which I can get into, and he's and well, he's I mean, the main man. Um, yes. Do you think that's a, a big part of it? Because I imagine this is a lot nicer for him to do than these giant films that he's coming off the back of. Yeah, true. But then, how much? Don't want to say how much work is he having to put in as Alfred? on Batman, for example, it's probably a softer gig by, by contrast to this. Obviously, like you said, he's the main man. He's sort of, uh, he's carrying the weight of the team, if you will. So I guess swings around us, but yeah, I, I would agree with you. He, this is probably the only film at this sort of time where he can get this sort of role, where he's the main guy. What, you know, whatever films are getting made where he can, probably not so much. So uh, yeah, the, there's a bit of a twist. So around the time of Alfred, the roles that he's playing really are the kind of sympathetic old man. Mm. Um, so even when, and then he kind of transitions and he starts doing the the wealthy smug old man, but with no real power. Like there's nothing like this. This is a guy like, if you look at him in like, now you see me, you look at him in Inception as just two examples. You look at him in Interstellar, which he does after. He's playing these kind of wealthy, intelligent He's playing the same guys. guy. Yeah, but they're they just either walk they're not walks all over, but they hold no real physical power. No, no, no. And so he he doesn't have any real smugness to him. This is just to flex the muscle a bit more in this one. Yeah, I mean it's almost like getting out of your system. It's probably a bit more fun. And even being a cog in the the larger wheel of Inception, Interstellar, Batman films. I imagine it's just whether it's a more pressured situation, it's probably just a lot more to deal with, even with the press side of things. Mm. I don't know. Even yeah, this, this would obviously feel home. this would obviously feel a lot more small time, wouldn't it? By by comparison, for sure. Yeah, what's the area in London? Elephant Elephant Castle. Well, this is London. Is that is that the area that it's called in London? Elephant and Castle is that? What yeah, it's yeah, that's where this was filmed. Right, right. So I imagine sense. he's got a nice little uh, gig there. Um, yeah, he says he saw a lot of himself in the character of Harry Brown. He says they're both combat veterans. Uh, Michael Caine served in the British Army during the Korean War. He says he lived in the same area that Harry Brown does. And it was just things like that that drew him to this movie. During the press tour, he does give one of those cheesy quotes like, the moment I read this, I knew I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. This was made for me. Blah blah blah. <laughs> but, Ray, Winston, Ray Winston was already busy, so he can. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he certainly does buy into it. It doesn't feel like it's him taking a year off or him taking six months off. He's very much buying into the project here. Yeah, for sure. I and I, and I guess compared to the other characters he's got, this is a character with some level of depth that they obviously explore in this. Well, obviously, a lot of his characters, obviously at this point, they're just side characters and that, that isn't yeah, the case. Yeah. Um, and he's basically playing the same guy each time. I am surprised that whether it's just because he's a legend of the game or whatever, so you get extra credit or because of his age or whatever, I'm a bit surprised at some of the praise he's got in some of those reviews and that I, I kind of spent most of his film thinking, is he a good actor? Fly me. Well, because uh, I don't know. I, I don't know that you feel that much for him in this. I think you do a bit. But I think, considering some of the people you've got, I think like 
like plan B is probably more convincing in his role. I'd say there's there's certainly a thing with this character where the first, not even a third of the film, slightly less than that, is him doing the I left this life behind. I swore that I would never become that person again. Yeah. And the first thing I actually noted down was about the pacing of the film. Because, I mean, a woman is shot within one minute of the film starting. <laughs> like, yeah. Headshotted. With, I feel like there was a there was any other way they could have said, this gang are bad. Because <laughs> that's basically what the, that, that part is, is saying, these are bad people. And we just got a woman's head, head top coming clean off over her kid. There's very much a, there's no ambiguity here. You're not supposed to like this guy. It's not supposed to be a gang that you can go, oh, I can see why they're doing it. You're supposed to hate them. And then in terms of the pacing, one thing that was praised was they said it was very un-American, which I do think they are sometimes slightly harshly treated in uh, just the, the, the blunt descriptions in that, it isn't immediately someone knocks on his door and he just turns into a superhero and he's just taking out six, seven, eight guys. They do give you a level of character development, whether, whether you bought into it or not, they do give you some kind of relationship between him and his friend. I don't know about you. I don't think we needed the scenes with his wife. I think you could have had him look at a picture of his wife and we'll understand he's a widower. Maybe. I yeah, think maybe. he could have built up the friendship between the two guys more than him visiting her in hospital. Because, I mean, it's, it's a it's some rotten luck that in this short space of time, the two people closest to him do get taken out. <laughs> Bad run. Bad yeah. run for him. But it's just, you get enough build-up, I would say. The, yeah, pacing, I I... the pacing, I actually think, is perfect. Yeah, I, I would agree. I actually... While I get your point on the wife, I don't think they overdo it. So I, I think it's it's fine. I think it's necessary. Um, so in theory, it will work. I just, for whatever reason, I just don't feel that emotionally connected to Michael Caine's character, as I should be that this old man's wife's dying should be a pretty heartbreaking thing. His, obviously, friend getting killed, similar. And well, it's, it's not that I don't, I don't think the film does it badly. I just don't, I just think Michael Caine is Michael Caine. And as a result... Maybe he's just too big and I can't overcome that it's Michael Caine, but I, I yeah. just don't really fully buy in. By contrast, well, it, if, if you'd say, like, um, and this is unfair because it's obviously a bigger budget film, but say, like, if we acknowledge that the first half of Man on Fire is basically built saying yeah, this yeah. guy's left, left that life behind, we would say they probably overindulge on that. But I do fully buy in and invest in Denzel at that point. Yeah. I realise if I'm saying Michael Caine isn't Denzel Washington, I'm maybe setting a high bar. <laughs> but But still... I think there is a certain level of immersion that you have to get past. I think, and I'm not saying you didn't do this. Um, with, with films like this, you're supposed to take them seriously, but you do have to kind of accept in your watching of it, I'm going to believe that this 60-plus-year-old man yeah, yeah, can become this ruthless killer because he served time in the Korean War. Um, no, it's not in the Korean War. In, this, in it's, Northern uh, Ireland, wasn't it? In yeah. Northern Ireland, yeah. And you do have to get past that. And that's why, I think, which film was it we did? So me and Keenan did The Town last week. Mm. And it's aged differently now. But he said one of the great things in that they could cast someone like Jeremy Renner at the time was you weren't looking at him like you'd cast Matt Damon. And you had 
pre-existing expectations yeah. about the character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, By contrast, though, if, on the same film, uh, you do have that with Ben Affleck, and I can see past that. So that's testament to what Ben Affleck's yeah. doing. By contrast, he is. It's slightly more believable, though, to believe that Ben Affleck yeah. can do that. Like, yeah. Because one of the questions I had almost is, Michael Caine, even with just his voice, is always being sold as this guy where he knows the streets like he was brought up. He, he's got a bit of roughness to him. And if you take that out of the Alfred side, and even with Alfred, part of his character is that he has seen some things and he's gone on to be like a butler for Batman. And I was wondering, we almost don't get this film sooner. How do you mean? In the he's such a, a big actor. He has done these kind of, uh, not necessarily a gangster film before, but he's done films that involve gangs or the mob or whatever. Yeah. The Italian job. And there's one, and I can't think of the name of it now, but I was reading about it earlier. He's done films like this before where he is on the streets. And I just thought with some of the roles that are being thrown at him, I'm just surprised you didn't get something like this sooner, particularly if it's something that, he jumps at the chance to do. You'd imagine that he's on a certain level of keenness to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's probably fair. It, it does feel a, a natural sort of role that he would take, for sure. Maybe people just assumed he wouldn't take it and weren't giving him the offers. Maybe, maybe he didn't want to be typecast at the <laughs> age of 80 years old or whatever. I think something that you need to consider with this, and I'll ask your take on it, is do you think this is more of a revenge movie or more of a vigilante movie? I understand there's some level of crossover, but if I asked yeah. you to put it in a box, which of the boxes would you put it in? I would go with revenge. I think. Only in that I don't think he's going to do any of this without things happening to him. Like he's obviously, this guy is obviously terrorizing the area and he's obviously scared stiff. Without those things happening, I mean, he probably would just carry on as he was. I don't think he would have gone vigilante without the, the revenge aspect. Because you kind of get a different way the film's being presented in that sense. Because even when you're not doing a hero film when there's some vigilanteism involved, the characters are almost always built that way, whether you go like the anti-hero route or, or whatever. Yeah. When it's a revenge movie, you really don't have any obligation to even build up any moral support for the character you can have him being an awful bloke you don't even have to have people warm up to him so long as you have the people that he's exacting revenge on being worse or you just build up the person that he's taking the revenge for to being someone worth doing then it almost gets set up in a different way and i think with it being a revenge movie you do go down this path where you're able to make it more gritty it feels more personal and that's where you can then get Michael Caine's acting abilities in because you have something that he's really warmed to and has to defend. Yeah, and I do, where I do buy in with it is he, uh, his reluctance initially to do it. You know, even when he gets his first uh, sort of kill under his belt, he's obviously quite upset about it, right? So, that's where I think his acting is good. Um, I think it's believable. And he goes on this, starts on this revenge trip. Reluctantly, he's pushed into it and kind of knows he's going to do it, but he doesn't want to do it at first. And then grows into this character that obviously is happy to go into a drug den and take him out or whatever. 
because I think there's something to it where I think when you're younger, you're always told that if you see something happening and obviously you're not seeing someone getting carjacked on the street when you're seven, eight years old, (laughs) but you're kind of taught when you're younger that if you see something happening, you should be stepping in and it's kind of, you should do the right thing for someone. And as you get older and the consequences get greater, you're told to a certain extent, mind your own business. It's not worth it to put yourself in danger for someone else. You don't know the full story. And whether that's the right thing or not, you get that at the start of the film when he's seeing things like happening, where he's like, he hates that it's happening, but at the same time, what am I going to do about it? Realistically, there's nothing I can do. It's not my position to be going to the police. This is for someone else to deal with. And it, it would have been so easy for them to sort of make out that this guy will say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Even if he's not going to fully get involved, like he's now start killing people, pushing yeah. around, whatever. Even if it'd be so easy for them to go, well, he was in the military, whatever, so he's going to go, no, you shouldn't do this. Whereas they've said that this guy is basically an old man. And as a result, yeah. as an older person, he's head stiff to these people, as you would be in his scenario. So I like yeah. that they did that rather than trying to make it that, oh, this guy's got pure intentions and will go out and risk his own life for that. He, he wouldn't. He'd be shit scared. Yeah, you feel the frustration early on and you have the scene where the guys just, they don't do anything but half measures this gang. Like the guy's really having the shit kicked out of him. <laughs> his head's missing out on the floor. And they have the shot where they go up to the top of the building and he closes his curtains on it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's not for me. It's I'll let I'll let them deal with it down there. And so you just build it more and more, and they do it, I guess, in a superhero film where the guys getting picked on and picked on and picked on, and you build it up to the point where they finally fight back. And I think yeah. they make you wait just long enough in this. It's not too long where you're frustrated and you're getting just these back and forths where you know it's going to happen at some point, but you just, come on, get on with it. They keep yes. you just long enough where you question, is he going to? And then it rolls from one the first the first blood he gets on his knife. Yeah, you're right. It, it's time that aspect of perfection, I think. Not too early where you're like, okay, this seemingly lovely old man just turned into John Wick out of nowhere. Yeah, but then it's not too long that you think you're looking at the, the clock, thinking we're an hour in, and he's still just a regular pensioner. Well, it came out a year later, and there were a lot of comparisons. Uh, I think it was some film critics were trying to call this like the English version of Gran Torino. You looked at the ages okay. of Clint Eastwood at the time that he did the remake, and you looked at the age of uh, Michael Caine, obviously. And I think there's a bit more subtlety to <laughs> to Gran Torino. I've seen the remake. I've, I've not seen the original, but the premise is the same. He's not happy with the way these kids are treating this area that he knows and loves. Yeah. But this kind of film, the reference point is almost always taxi driver for the guy that's had enough. And he takes out these awful people, but he does it in such an awful way that you kind of question, is this the right thing? Should I be rooting for this guy to be doing what he is in, Harry Brown, I feel, is more of just a development of that kind of film. Just he has things together a lot more. He's not yeah, to the point where... And it's not like he's some evil genius, which is the usual way you do this. Suddenly, the thing goes wrong, and they've had this training, and they're planting traps for people, and they're hiding around corners and jumping on them and this and that. 
you really narrow the field of what you can do by his age. And so he's not using an elaborate plan. He, he keeps a knife in his pocket and waits for someone to lean in first because he doesn't have the reflexes. Yeah. And it's essentially widows in that they say they're, they're unexpected because they're women. This guy has the element of surprise because he's an old man. Yeah, and, and only that one police officer suspects it. All of yeah. the others would just dismiss it offhand. Something is to the success of this film. This came out in 2009 where we're really at the heat of like Daily Mail headlines that still using the word chav in their headlines. Everything would be about asbos you would see constantly. And the film really taps into the that youth of today paranoia and then just does it on a larger scale. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's sort of like the gangs are just running the streets, basically, and nowhere safe, all that sort of stuff. Because there's no doubt that these things do happen. Um, I mean, I don't know that they're riding around a park on a motorbike, shooting the gun off that many times without being caught. <laughs> but there are awful people that hide in gangs, and they they prey on some of the people that you see in this film, and all of those kind of things. And I guess you have to create hype it up to a level where it's entertaining, but also has the realism to it. And that's where you bring in someone like plan B who we'll speak about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you surround all these other pieces where if you can't quite buy into Michael Caine taking out about eight to 10 men, <laughs> then you make everyone else so realistic that it works. Yeah. 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 That, and that's the approach I sort of felt they took. Obviously the people reviewing it, seem to feel the opposite yeah he says the marines were a lifetime ago i was a different man then when i met my calf i knew that all that stuff had to be locked away i made the decision all those years ago and i stuck to it who has the better friendship the old fellas in this or in football factory football factory still should they have been riding out for each other in football factory how do you mean when he's uh, getting some jip on the bus with uh, the younger lads there, <laughs> he has to get off and he collapses over. Should they have been riding out together? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if Football Factory needs another chapter along those lines, <laughs> but maybe it did. Maybe that was where the, uh, the gold lay, actually. I'll let them meet up bonding over their game of chess. I also like that only one of them seemed to realise that everyone in this pub was an awful person when the first <laughs> yeah. shot I saw of everyone in there, the guy at the bar, I didn't need to look twice at him. He's no. literally off his head smoking what looks like crack. <laughs> that was a... Alarms about the barman to me. Yeah, he was just willing to let that slide. I mean, that was a perfect... Yeah, what you're talking about where they've really got to emphasize this is a rough area it's like, okay i think we got it the guys to crack at the bar it's, i'll tell you what there was a brief moment obviously michael kane's obviously joking it's quite a good line but when he refers to lennon's his father in the pup i am initially sort of like they're not actually going for that they? they're not actually trying to claim this is dad's eyes oh, just joking it's the guy from this is england isn't it who the the crackhead at the bar is the main guy from uh, This Is England, the, like, yeah, the, tall, like, the tall one. Yeah, 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 because he ends up back at the 
he ends up back at the drug den with the yeah. other really, really creepy guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Because I've got a note here on how much coke... This guy's called Kenny. How much coke yeah. can Kenny do? Because he's got about six lines there that he's just bumping through and Kenneth. seemingly is absolutely fine. Yeah, I've got a whole thing on that scene because it's one of the most uncomfortable scenes I've seen in quite some time. Now, a lot of the reviews I saw did quote gritty realism in the way they were describing this film. And one of the first things I thought about that was the gunshots in this film are so piercing. Like, yeah. They're the ones where you, you're reaching for your remote, especially if there's anyone else in the house to try and get the volume down. They aren't just like muted cracks like you get in most kind of Hollywood projects. They really do a lot in here just to make every sound so visceral. Like, well, the amplifier is just what I was watching them because as I said by contrast to like the talking about that, like you said, just it was crazy. Yeah, uh, they even like the amplifier and spreading jam on his toast, dropping a tea bag in his mug, uh, the revving of the motorbike at the start. It's like they really want you to feel everything in here, and it, it's just supposed to create a level of discomfort right from the get go. Mm. And I guess it shouldn't feel. It should feel like that when someone's getting shot, particularly a woman with a pushchair. Like this isn't some drug dealer in a trap house. This is some woman just walking through the park. It should be piercing and uncomfortable. Mm. Um, but that scene that we referred to <laughs> in in the trap house, like right from the start, just the aesthetics of the guy like he's so skinny he's just itching constantly he's got the scars all over him he's kind of just fidgety and that's just the start of this scene are they for the amount of money they they seem to have in the place the size of uh, the crops that they have should they be a bit more skeptical about a 70-year-old bloke turning up on their doorstep to the point where they bring him straight in, take him through the whole house, and he sees everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That bloke walks in, immediately asked to buy a gun. Asked to buy it, buy it so he can shoot the pigeons. You're like, I'm, I'm smelling a rat here. But they just go, yeah, come in. They don't even do the, uh, are you a cop? That you just have to ask. If you're in a film, you at least have to ask. And if he says no, look, at least I asked. Well, you want to go on? That's going to get me a few quid here. Come on in. Yeah, yeah, remarkable decision. Especially as the one is kind of maybe just drug induced, but very skeptical in general. Yeah, but he's yeah. still still seems to be. Oh yeah, you can still come in. Though. And then you've got. Uh, this woman who's passed out or god knows what on the sofa you've that's got when this... we know look this is going dark once you see her you're like, oh no yeah you've got this film on the tv that you really don't need to be seeing <laughs> and then he says uh she likes to cuddle this one And like the one review says, there is something they do to the footage like throughout the whole film where the colour's almost just taken out of it. Like the dark scenes are dark. The the grey scenes are particularly grey and foggy and everything they do is just to make it just feel slightly more dingy than it already did. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very depressing. 
Yeah, just seeing his scars were were bad enough, but you've got the guy that's selling the guns who has an admirable level of enthusiasm, really, for the guns that he's selling. In another life, he's probably a great car salesman. But oh, it's a shame. Shame he went down that route. Yeah. He had so much talent. Um, you're just waiting for something to happen. They keep cutting back to uh, the leader of the two, just kind of side-eyeing them, playing with his gun. This girl, as soon as he says, should she not see a doctor or get her an ambulance? You're now even more on edge because you know that's the worst thing you should have said. And then we just get some of the coolest scenes in the film. First guy gets stabbed in the hand. That always cringes me out. Yeah, agreed. The second one, we get a reminder, I guess, of the he's an old man. He's not some Secret Service agent and his reflexes aren't the same in shooting the other guy. But the classic gun won't shoot. Yeah. Age old trick. (laughs) And then he says, you failed to maintain your weapon, sir. You feel like such a mug. Yeah. And then when, when he's got shot, he's setting the place on fire. Was he setting the place on fire at that point? I'm not sure he is. He follows him through where all the crops are. And he gives him that speech where I think some of it was in the trailer. Hmm. And suddenly he is James Bond. Like He's got the <laughs> composure and he's saying, I don't reckon you've got long. Seen that before. Gut wounds. The slug's probably torn right through your liver. Mate of mine in Ulster got caught in sniper fire. Bullet blew his inside out. Screamed for a good 10 minutes. And ends with, uh, you should have called an ambulance for the girl. <laughs> Anytime you describe a bullet as a slug, I'm already on board. <laughs> yeah, that's a belter of a line. It's the pause as well before he says, for the girl. That sort of thing is cracking Michael Caine that is fantastic how bad (laughs) the policemen in this scene where they can't work out that this woman's either been helped out of the scene or what and he's like but she had the money in her pocket (laughs) like she doesn't have any consciousness at all I mean it's another bad advert for the police this film (laughs) this they always are, but this one's a particularly bad one. Yeah, very bad. If if we except for the female police officer, and it, in yep. a shocking twist. Although we should have seen it coming, the second uh, her partner is giving it the. Well, you know what? I don't want to go to this. I don't want to go to the scene of this crime. He was getting off. Yeah. <laughs> and she says, "No, come on." What What do you think? Two uh, tropes being explored there. One. He doesn't want to go, so he's definitely getting fucked. But two, just the general sort of a police officer who really doesn't want to do their job is always <laughs> incredible. Should we go to this scene of the crime? I don't think I will, actually. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not interested. And she's going, I think we should. Well, you have the one conversation, don't you, that just goes in line with the theme of the film, where every time you get one like this, someone poses the question of whether the vigilanteism is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, so-and-so died. And he's like, oh, good. I hope he fucking kills a lot of them. 
and you do see that side of things and then you've obviously got the classic cop no we need justice that's not justice let's get them getting off easy about plan b sorry the the audience is in agreement with that cop as well yeah yeah. you're going yeah may as well kill these bastards but yeah yeah. because plan b in particular so i think it, it helps that some know him as a rapper already he does have a certain level of presence on screen and i don't know how much that plays into it but he's only been in adulthood is his only film appearance at this time where he plays a similar type of character but with a lot less authority in fact he gets pushed around and it gets bricked around he gets a brick around his head i think right so he comes in here He's only five foot eight, by the way. The, the way they shoot him in this, he looks really big. I thought he's got a, he's stocky anyway. I'm gonna say he's a bigger chap still, but yeah, yeah. yeah. They shoot him like I thought he was gonna be six two, six three. Just the mm. way he fills the screen in this. Um, there's a period where he's just the go-to guy for these kinds of films. He goes on to direct Ill Manners. He does the Sweeney and he does a number of TV appearances just playing essentially the lead gangster, whatever you need him to be. I think he's might be a policeman in, in uh, the Sweeney, actually, but he gets in the gangster films basically for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's good what? in this. I, I think yeah, quite, he's, he's very good in this. Whenever he says the word scat, you're like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's got it. Watching this made me remember that Jack O'Connell was tipped as like the next one up for a while. Well, I was I was gonna say yeah yeah he was maybe around this sort of time people would have been really hot on him. Um, he did that starred something film where he's in a prison and that was where he got the most kind of critical acclaim, but he's faded away somewhat. Yeah yeah very weird. Do you Even think from when he, he looks, was in Skins everyone was aware, yeah. weren't they? He looks slightly like Taron Egerton, and I don't know if he's just taken the shine he should have got, like it should have been him in Kingsman. You take everything I work for, motherfucker. Exactly. Plan B, the moment he's getting arrested, and it always just gets you in with the character very quickly when they already know his name. He's familiar to the point where they can just shout his name to the top of the stairs. And then he says to the policeman as they're reading his rights, I know my rights better than you do. <laughs> and then we get him let out as he's eyeballing the woman. You didn't ask me who you're supposed to have murdered. It's just, uh, oh, yeah, God. Classic. He's got it horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. It's got enough, just enough classic tropes in this. <laughs> um, the police questioning scene, I mean, we don't need to read the quotes out of the whole thing, but. I seem to remember that being one of the more memorable scenes at the time. And I think they put a very edited version of this in the trailer. If it wasn't just him kind of banging the table. <laughs> yeah. It obviously works very well. It's tough to get some of this in a trailer, I imagine. Yeah. Um, for, all that, just... that, for all that police officer is a bit of a weasel. His line of, uh, what's he now, king of the bunk beds. Yeah. <laughs> is a great line. And he does end credits for the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think I'd seen before film. I think I'd seen yeah. that before I'd watched Harry Brown. The ending of the film. So, do you think it was a satisfying ending? Because usually this kind of film ends with him dying while completing his mission. As you mean, he has still done it, though, hasn't he? Yeah, it just it 
do you think it all gets a bit far-fetched towards the end um like usually he dies in action here but he kind of he gets off scot-free he just manages to get everything done yeah i, I think they had to do that though, didn't they i don't think this is a film where you go uh you leave it with a level of ambiguity. I mean, to the point where at the end, we're supposed to believe that the area is now gang-free. Yeah. I'm not sure that's happening. It's um, declined by almost 30%. I thought you could have had him die and then you still have that report from the police saying it's gone down 30%, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I think this had to be... <laughs> when When they have a situation where immediately they've got snipers on this guy yeah. just in the nick of time. Obviously, it starts getting a bit far-fetched, but I think you accept a certain amount of that. Because at the time, I thought it was all very believable. Um, like, you have to kind of ramp up, and we don't know what happens in some of these houses, but the idea of these uh, yobs, like, terrorising an old man was completely realistic. Um, mm-hmm. Them kind of having a hold on this part of the city, I thought you could get on board with and then suddenly it just breaks out into a full-blown riot and there's the streets on fire and there's people getting dragged around and it just i felt i didn't need to escalate that much it looked cool but i thought i preferred the parts of the film where it was all a bit more underground it felt like they basically needed a big event so right is that right well however we can get a riot, we're going to get a riot, and that's how it's going to go. And they worked off of that rather than this being a part of the story. So we'll figure out how the story can fit around this, it felt like. And do we give them props by the classic thing of the the guy that's ill and it's really impacting him trying to get things done? They don't give him cancer this time. They don't give him a heart attack. Emphysema. Yeah. I like that bit left field. <laughs> Catches him off guard, doesn't bring his inhaler with him. And you already know as soon as he's goes down to the bottom of uh, the cellar or whatever, how things are going to go when he's trying to talk him round. Yeah, which you... And you start going, maybe Sid is going to sympathise with this old man. And I, no, no, he's just going to seize on this opportunity immediately. My... Uh... I think, by the way, with Sid being the real gang leader, one, obviously, from our angle, is quite a fun twist. But two, how is it that Harry Brown, or in fact, everybody, doesn't know that he's the real gang leader? Well, the police, the policewoman knows, doesn't she? She says it, but only after he's gone down with him. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do I know this pub? Oh, yeah, it's the actual gang leader. Yeah, I just thought, I just, in this supposedly really tight-knit area... It's being dominated by gang. I'm supposed to believe that people don't know who the actual leader of the gang is. I'm not sure I buy that. Or yeah, that everyone at else least knows, you know his, his affiliation, but apparently no. Because the people are coming in the bar, you assume that's why. Yeah. And he's been, at the start of this film, drinking in this bar, playing chess in there. So presumably he's been in there quite a bit. And he's apparently completely none the wiser that Sid's the guy's uncle. I he, just find that baffling. He is into his chess. I mean, it, maybe it's the strength of Michael Caine that when he's describing that chess game to the uh, police officer, I was on board. I wanted to know how it ended. <laughs> so fuck the film. I want to see how this game of chess ended. You're speaking to a former chess master, though, is maybe something you haven't considered. A former chess master. Former school Retired. Captain. Exactly. 
took my side to King's School away. Tough place to go in the chess game. It was a tough place to go. Was it rainy? Was it a rainy night? It was certainly a night. So we have that. Came out and it was dark. Um, Unfortunately, uh, yeah, no other tales with it other than that. With this film then, would you say you enjoyed it? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it for what it was. I think it was... I think the uh, the timing of it was perfect. Was it one hour forty forty five sort of yeah, range? One forty three, so, I think. So I think that's perfect for that. Um, I think they got the pacing right, as you said. I thought overall pretty pretty enjoyable. If you, you're not expecting too much from it, I don't think, I don't think you're looking for uh, something too deep. So I think it does the job. Just so happens your biggest issues are Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah. I just I just don't think I'd fully buy into. Um, I'm not fully emotionally invested. I think a different actor probably could have got me a little bit more on board. Don't think he's got quite as much range as some. Because he took out uh, your man Filch, I thought that would have got you on board. Yeah, yeah, I, I probably didn't care enough. Which <laughs> you, you should do. This is supposed to be like you know the gut punch. That feels a very old school method of uh, messing with him, like the flaming dog shit through his door. <laughs> there we go. 2009, um, a different time. Any final comment to... on it. I what? was staggered that Jeff Bell wasn't in the film at any point. <laughs> I thought for sure we're getting Jeff Bell in there. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, classic Brits that don't make it in there. Maybe they thought it'd be too lazy if they did. Aged well that they get Plan B in there, though, so that's, yeah. that's when it goes for it. Um, let's go on to our second film of the day. So that is the next three days. Come on, smile. Pittsburgh police, you're under arrest for murder. She's innocent. Laura is not getting out. What do you want to know? How you escaped from jail when no one else could. You have to have the entire plan already in place. No prison in the world is airtight. Do not do this. We have no other choice. The next three days. Rated PG-13. Theaters everywhere November 19th. A married couple's life is turned upside down when the wife is accused of a murder. I'll do it. What do you think the critics thought of this? I'm going to say they probably thought it was a bit too long. Um, just not enough to it, I imagine. They should have done something more with it, I think. So, although the next three days holds a tantalising premise at its heart, the film takes an extremely long time to get to the point. <laughs> The next three days is kind of a throwback to the classic action movies Hollywood put out in the mid-90s, the one-man-versus-the-world era of thrillers, in which lantern-jawed heroes fight to save their family against improbable odds. Lantern-jawed. What a... Occasionally preposterous and bogged down by a lack of subtlety, but the film is also captivating and energetic, particularly particularly during the thrilling final act. Solid performances, beautiful camera work. It just would have been nice if they'd included some more twists and turns in the otherwise decent script. And finally, there are a few moments which seem a little too neat, but on the whole, this is a tense thriller that doesn't always choose the well-trodden path. Now again, there's very little trivia for this. Um, I don't know if you knew this. The movie is actually a remake of a French movie called Anything for Her, which was released in 2008. 
I only saw it when I stuck this on Wikipedia. That was it. Yeah. That was the only. So there was some level of pressure going in because this was around the same time that uh, Let Me In and The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo had come out. Okay. And they were really butchered by critics for mm. ruining uh, foreign films and particularly foreign films that weren't that old. Like they were just jumping immediately in to do a remake. Before we talk about Russell Crowe, I wanted to start with Elizabeth Banks. Now, she met with prisoners and guards to try and get a better impression of what life in jail might be like. Although when I read some more about this, she told everyone on set that she was willing to be incarcerated in a cell for as long as she could tolerate to really try and get some level of empathy Blimey. for the character that she was supposed to be portraying. How long do you think she lasted? Oh, so she, did she actually do this? Yeah. Oh, it's going to be something like three days or something. Five minutes. <laughs> that's, no, that's not incarceration. <laughs> that's going to the loo. That's Five not... minutes. No, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> no. Yeah. You can't even count that. That's not... <laughs> She said she had a great level level of empathy when she came out. <laughs> you, you know what? I've got an understanding of this. I think I think I've got the idea. I basically can empathise with you know Nelson Mandela. I've been here five minutes. I've got the idea. She had people outside the cells saying, "Bang your doors, free up." I hope she like kind of went home as like, "I'm a changed person." You don't know <laughs> what the things I've seen in there. Actually, my main criticism of the film is her. Really? Maybe the worst fake crying I've seen on film. Yeah, not good, is it, the crying? I did think that. Yeah, that was not her just in, in general, but the fake crying. Of, oh, oh, you're better off just having her not cry or just have her be a silent crier and wipe her eyes. Mm. We don't always need loud crying. Well, she was quite annoying in parts as well. What, other than the crying, I thought that she kind of played the helplessness of prison quite well in just the little things that she was getting irritated at, which I thought, I mean, I don't know myself, but of the, the programs I've seen, I thought it seemed to kind of reflect that quite well, particularly when he's complaining that he isn't spending enough time with their son. She's got really, yeah, that, really <laughs> some staggering lack of self-awareness on his part, but she does essentially have a lot of criticism of him of like, you're just too perfect. It's like, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's not a bad thing. I think there's worse no. qualities I could think of. I think prison would probably, there'd be a lot more things annoying me than that. Yeah. What What do you think of the premise in general? Now, usually it's the other way around. It's usually the man that's locked up in these films. Yeah. So I thought it was an interesting way yeah, to like go that. around it. Mm. I, I do think... There's never a time where there's a single dad in a film where the entire film isn't how hard he finds life being a simple dad. Yeah, that is always incredible, isn't it? But but look, that's kind of reflective of general life, though, isn't it? Where, like, yeah. if a bloke looks after their kid for, like, an afternoon on the road, it is seen as, like, a real triumph. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This is just kind of a regular theme. So that's always going to be reflected in films. I thought her and Russell Crowe looked like a couple i thought they looked like they matched it didn't look feel or feel uncomfortable to me no and i think they um in that initial scene 
when they're having dinner, I do think they establish chemistry really well. I think they obviously, uh, they seem like, as you said, a natural couple in that Russell Crowe could kind of have a bit of a joke about how hot this other woman is. And they, they don't have a big, huge problem as a result of it. That shows, I think, they've got a level of chemistry and understanding between them. Okay, so I, I did pause the film to look her up. Unbelievably, she hasn't gone on to have a fantastic career. <laughs> yeah, look, that should have been star-making. She came out, gave it a thousand. She appears it. in that Land of the Lost with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell like a year later. <laughs> okay, maybe that's where it all... Maybe it was a year before. Maybe that's what got her the role. I'll have to have a look again. I do question, why are they having dinner? Because they clearly despise each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure they should be having dinner together. No, I... Because the blokes don't seem to want to be there, really. They're just kind of like, oh, well, we're here. So it's obviously their idea. And they're both just sniping at each other the whole time. Yeah, I think a really good parts of the film, and it's why I probably prefer the early stages, are when you don't know if she's done it or not. Well, I, I mean, I was going to come on to this later, and I did wonder if the reviews were going to this. I thought there are a few different avenues I thought they were going to go down. And I did wonder about would they get caught? And then secondly would they get away? But she actually did do it. I thought there's going to be like a cutaway scene where it shows she actually did do this. Yeah, I do well, want to, we'll speak about that uh, in terms of the ending because that is a big thing yeah. for a lot of people with this film. But I do accept that that is obviously then an entirely different film if they do do that. I do realise that. Yeah, it's quite good that in that we don't know, they give you all of the things and we're going to do Gone Girl in a few weeks, mm-hmm. but where it's it's a bit more subtle in the way they do it there. But even just the way that she's washing the blood off her jacket and looking startled when the police bang down the door. Just, it's right in your face, but it is set up so you're supposed to go, hang on a minute. And everyone is saying to him, well, if you look at the evidence, draw your own conclusions. I thought they'd do a good job of showing you that really people just wouldn't believe you. Like, like they would, there might be, your husband might believe her and everyone else is going to go, yeah, she did that shit. Even like friends and stuff, because there's gonna be like, well, it's, this is too much. And the husband believing it is probably gonna be seen as the guy that, well, he's gone fucking mad, because how can yeah. you believe this? It's in, in films or even just probably in real life, the way it usually plays out is they say, Look, I'm gonna ask you once, and I just want you to be honest with me. Did you do it? Did you do it? And you then they get offended. I can't believe you didn't think that. And you go, No, no, but I had to ask. Mm. And so that's obviously a big thing in it's a very interesting dynamic and he has a very conveniently placed lesson plan in place. And I wish I'd taken down the quote here, but they have this whole thing, don't they about belief and faith and disagreeing with the evidence that's essentially placed right in front of you. And it is one of those things where I watched the staircase recently and all of the evidence initially points to, watch. to the, Yeah. But the whole thing with that is, did did he kill his wife? And a lot of the evidence yeah. suggests yes, because the optics say there's no other way this could be done. Mm. And yet you've got his children that are saying, I don't care what the evidence says, what all you experts are saying, I'm not going to believe that. And it's kind of, you can tell me the sky is blue, I'm going to disagree with it. And yeah. That's just yeah. an interesting way to go about it more so that it's him and that the son doesn't seem to have an answer to, to that at all 
yeah, it is, as you touched on at the top of this, it is a different dynamic with the wife being the one being suspected as well. I think when the bloke ends up getting arrested for it, for whatever reason, people are more automatically inclined to believe that a bloke has killed someone than a woman has killed someone. And so as a result, you've got that whole dynamic that is switched. And yet this woman's in prison and everyone probably thinks she has to stay there. Because you do have a, a number of cliches in this film, and I think you'd have more if it was flipped the other way around. Oh, definitely. In fact, you'd probably have some kind of scene where Russell Crowe is saying, I didn't do it. And then, like, the third time, he, like, punches the table. And then they all look at him and go, Oh, you got a bit violent there. And we're yeah. sure you didn't kill them. The cursory, uh, like, glance away from Elizabeth Banks as she starts to think, oh, maybe he did do yeah. it. Even his wife is losing <laughs> yeah. faith. The son rejects him because he doesn't want to see his murdering dad. Just in terms of what's happening off camera here, so both the director, Paul Haggis, and one of the actors, Jason Beggy, who plays one of the detectives, are former disciples and now outspoken critics of the Church of Scientology. Blimey. And Mark Isham, who was the director's uh, regular collaborator, he usually did the scores for his film, and he didn't compose it for this because he couldn't get over Haggis's highly publicised decision to leave the church, of which he's still a member. So oh, you have wow. some Scientology beef going on behind the scenes while this is Jeez. being made. That's insane. I do forget that those people exist. Um, but clearly they do. I don't want to come in after me now that I've said that. <laughs> after seeing that uh, Louis Theroux documentary with them. Have you seen that? Yeah, pretty passionate, aren't they? When they're turning up at the airport, I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah. Russell Crowe, we we do get just about, I'd say the best of him in this kind of role. We get some really good scenes with him and his dad when he realises what's going on. And he gets to remind you that this is more than just an action film, an action kind of breakout film. We do have these deeper lying themes and questions going on. Um, He's great, isn't he? He's great. Yeah, I read a review and I was going to ask if you agree with two points I've taken from it. Just first with Russell Crowe. It's a different role for him, really. When you look, he plays Robin Hood a year before this. Mm. We're used to seeing him play heroes like he does in Gladiator. And he has to kind of almost dull down his character and be as uncharismatic as possible here to not come across as this like superhuman figure. He's almost trying to come across as hopeless and just your ordinary bloke for the majority of this film. A dad, isn't he? Kind yeah, of, so it's, generic it's like the opposite of what you would usually cast him for, but he does it really well. Yeah, I definitely think he's got sort of like every man performance in him, as, as this definitely shows. It does feel somewhat patronising when we occasionally praise actors for being, for being good at acting, but <laughs> I know what I was trying to say. Well, um, more than happy to slag him, so I guess we've got to give him a bit of credit when they do do a good job. Yeah, so the, the points that I took down from a review that I read that came out uh, a couple of months after, so they say... 
The next three days faced commercial roadblocks because, despite its prison break premise, it's not a high-octane action thriller. Indeed, its muted, introspective tone proved difficult for mainstream audiences to embrace, despite Crow's marquee value. Do you think if you read the synopsis, you get what you signed up for or not? Hmm... Well, if you read the synopsis, you are thinking this woman has been accused of murder. Are you thinking are they going to prove that she didn't do it, or did she do it, or whatever? I don't know that you're necessarily promised a prison break there, are you? No. So in that Although, in that respect, I don't know that I was going right. It's got to be high octane, one hundred miles an hour. You so could potentially interpret it in a very different way. The trailer was directed in that way. It was around the she's not guilty i'm not going to let you stay here for the rest of your life that mm. that way this so this, in that case you probably would be a bit <laughs> like you've been a bit uh sold short this for me was some of my best times of watching films in that it was pretty early on in getting a cinema card right and just i would just see everything that was out so I didn't really have any expectation going in. So there's so many films that were just able to over deliver. And this was, I remember coming out of the cinema for this and feeling really like I've actually, I've seen something really good there and I hadn't watched it since, but I've recommended it to so many people. Hmm. Um, and now I watched it and I thought, I wonder what those people thought. Like I know one ever said they didn't like it, but it probably wasn't what I was selling it as when I look back. Because I only really remember the, the breaking out of prison. Is it worse than your selling of Gangster Squad, you mean? Yeah, my brother actually said to me uh, earlier in the week, he said, yeah, I'm still just working through some of these podcasts. I've got the Gangster Squad one to do next. <laughs> Maybe give that one a miss. Luke, over-promise, under-deliver <laughs> on these films. Yeah, but this is, well, this is my first time watching this, and I really enjoyed it. I did wonder rewatchability i did wonder about that but as a, a first film. as a first time of watching and i don't know where it's going really really enjoyed it i thought it was a really good film um yeah i, I don't know how quickly i would end up rewatching it though so maybe that holds it again against it a bit as well but something else they said was on one level haggis and crow want john's journey to seem unbelievable so as to illustrate the lengths he'll go to to reunite with lara but the intricacies of the man's plan never feel consistent with the mindset or skill set of a simple college teacher. Yeah, this is a bit of an odd one, isn't it? In that one conversation with Liam Neeson, and apparently he's a mastermind. <laughs> he basically has absolved all his knowledge. <laughs> with Liam Neeson, they go, how can we make it like he's seen some things? Give him a scar by his eye. <laughs> That's never failed before. We'll always put a scar on someone's face. And again, I, I don't want to um, hammer it like I did with uh, sort of with the wolf in uh, Goodfellas. But I think Misa does kind of just tell him some pretty fairly obvious things. <laughs> You're going to get out, have to get the fuck out of town very quickly. Okay, yeah, yeah. You're going to have to get a really convincing fake passport. Yeah, yeah, all right. And you have to go somewhere they can't find you. Oh, all right. Uh, thank you for that. Think Yemen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Don't do I've, this if you wouldn't be prepared to push an old lady over. That was actually a really good way for it because he was like, right, what are you willing to do? 
But then he says all this and then essentially acknowledges, look, I wasn't willing to be that guy. Out of the two of you, you seem a lot more willing to be that guy than this really nice just college teacher dad. Well, he says that he broke out seven times, which <laughs> at some point, like Michael Schofield, maybe we've given him too much credit because <laughs> he took so long to do this. Um, and also this guy's going, I couldn't live like looking over my shoulder. Yeah, like, well, yeah. Well, you've had plenty of practice in this. And two, how are you out? Because presumably you keep doing this. You should just be in prison <laughs> yeah, forever. Yeah. I have always thought that, though. The thing of once you're out, like the paranoia. Oh, I mean, parent. I'm hoping that I wouldn't be in prison to begin with, and maybe you take that over being behind bars. But yeah, that would be rough. Maybe for, for all with with all these films, with like the idea this is a happy ending they've had, they're basically going to have to constantly be thinking we might get arrested, and their son has to live in a foreign yeah, country. Yeah. Why the hell are we here? It's everyone's hoping for that catch me if you can deal, where they're like, you were so good. We're actually just going to let you work for us. Don't worry about being beyond bars. But unfortunately, Russell Crowe doesn't find Tom Hanks. No. Yeah, tough break. A a number of other things in this. One thing that's just been annoying me recently, and so this kind of carried into it. When I heard Tommy Fury say, my lawyers have been onto this, what does every famous person claim that they've got a lawyer and even less so i see <laughs> i'm gonna generalize here i see a lot of americans do this where they say yeah my lawyer why do you have a lawyer in, in the first place <laughs> secondly it's not your lawyer it's some random bloke that you've paid whatever an hour to come and do yeah. this when she's getting arrested shouting you don't have a tom hagen That's yeah my happening. lawyer <laughs> you don't have your own private one it, it was very annoying. The... Also, love the idea she's going to call up a lawyer. Well, I've been arrested for killing my boss. <laughs> All right. All evidence points to me. So, yeah, I'm putting the phone down. I don't need to know this. I'm not interested in taking the case. Thank you. The Liam Neeson one, and perhaps why he has such a small role and just does the one scene. I was reading from someone today that claimed they worked on the film. They say that he, he took this role just after his wife had passed away. I didn't know he had a wife that passed away. Yeah, I knew that. I, I thought this was, would have been um, a little bit later than that, but fair enough. But they say, yeah, he took this while his, after his wife had just passed away, and they say he would just walk around, he'd just walk his dog around the set constantly and not speak to anyone. Oh, God. That's quite bleak, I know. Yeah, Jesus. But maybe he was just keeping busy, and I haven't looked at his IMDb, but perhaps if you've got a couple of roles where they're little small ones like this, it might, it might explain a bit. I probably, probably was good for him, just probably not great for the team morale. Yeah. I don't I mean, I don't know how much more you have of him in this, because at the point it's, oh, that's quite cool, that's Liam Neeson. <laughs> when you see him pop up um, mm-hmm. on the computer, how do you pitch that, by the way? That's a risk when you're phoning up. <laughs> I'm planning to break my wife out of prison, and I just wondered if you'd have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you've come to the right place. I've, I've got you sorted. Don't worry. Something before I forget. At the end of the film, when they're going through the airport and all the pictures are on the computer, mm-hmm. Bin Laden is one of those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> on the computer, like, at the time, there's a person, Bin Laden's <laughs> trying to get through customs. They go, do I recognise you? <laughs> 
How did you let him through? Well, look, he wasn't on the system, so how was I supposed to know? Mental. With that but, film in the picture, by the way, that the commitment the police are showing to catch him, they're committing all this force to it, and yet the picture isn't circulated until however yeah. long after the event, so they're out of the state. Incredible. Yeah, they're just... You're just looking. You're just looking for a man, woman, and child in a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, remarkable. If you are planning a prison escape, though, YouTube apparently <laughs> is that all easy. it takes. Yeah, that easy. Apparently, all of the things that they do in this are legit, other than the tennis, the tennis ball one, which they disproved on MythBusters. Blimey! Yeah, that, I can't say I looked at that and thought, you know what, this could happen. I admire that a lot of them, he doesn't even try out at home first. He tries the one out at home, the tennis ball one. He just tries out on an armoured car. <laughs> it's the first time he tries this. <laughs> that kind of scene, though, I'm a, I'm a sucker for in uh, that just someone's doing something sneaky while you're waiting for the other person to get back. Even when I've seen that before, I'm still on edge watching the scene take place. Never done better than Prison Break either. No, no, they absolutely nailed that, didn't they? And in this, he has all these timings, but just seems to go over the timings every time, and he's still all right. Obviously, when he was given the timings, Liam Neeson's obviously a lot more conservative. He's obviously got, right, I'll be strict with you. You've got a bit more leeway. There's a couple of plot holes in the film, and maybe that's being kind, but... <laughs> Is he allowed back in the prison after they've all but seen him break a key in a lock trying to go in? I mean, if they... he's allowed back in, it's, they're keeping him under tight surveillance, aren't they? Yeah. Especially as his denial is basically, no, no, that's not me. Oh, oh, as you've said, it's not well, me. Well, unless point at him. You sure this isn't you? <laughs> yeah. so, no, no, that's what you're looking there. at. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the heist first, let's talk about the, the heist or the breakout first. I liked the idea of him going to the bank but not being able to follow through with it. That was fair enough. Hmm. Then I get the point of the film is like, this is how far this guy will go for his wife. Yeah. He goes and takes out a, cra- a, a drug den with three people in there. <laughs> this everyman suddenly is just cooking. I mean, CCTV's a mess. You can just plant this body on a bus shelter and just nothing happens. Yeah, if we said Harry Brown um, sort of slowly got back into the life, it appears Russell Crowe just got straight in. Yeah. If someone today knocked on your door and said, you've got to have a fake passport by Sunday, I'll give you a week. You've got to have a fake passport and all these documents by Sunday. Can you think of a way to go about it any more tactfully than he does? <laughs> any more tactfully? <laughs> because I'm cursing him, but at the same time, like, I genuinely don't know how else you could do this. No, no, exactly. I think like He's identified a, a range of people in the dealers that you probably have the contacts. Hmm. And then yeah, narrows no, it down from there. No, he probably has gone the route that most people end, would end up in, in such a situation. The main thing is just that they wouldn't do it. It's the only, it's the only question. 
there's a question to ask about this circumstance as well and it's going to sound bad but i'm sure you had the same question while you were watching is there any reason for this guy being deaf it's a good point like i yeah. i text keenan text me saying well actually he texts me saying this dead guy what the fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? and then i said what i said I watched this a while ago. I'm assuming there's going to be some kind of plot point with the fact that this guy's deaf. And I get, I guess the conversations you see today are that there shouldn't be. But usually, if you have a side character that's deaf, it's going to be the sirens come on and he doesn't hear them. Yeah. It's going to be something like that. And instead, it's just there's no mention of it ever again. It just says, I'm deaf, you idiot. I read your lips and you're like, oh, okay, sound. <laughs> no, I, it. I wondered if I had missed something with it, honestly, because I was like, well, this must be of some significance. And I was like, oh, it's not really. Very strange. The breakout then. It's, I think they do a similar way in prison break of getting into the hospital and then you, it's easier to make your way out from there. But, the nerve of her, she's given it this whole time, I need to get out of here, I need to get out of here, I need to get out of here. He does the hard work and she's going, what the hell are you doing? You're wasting valuable time, this could have been so much easier. Honestly, I'm super pissed. When I when I said to you at the top of this thing that she's annoying in parts, <laughs> I was thinking that a big chunk of it was this, just, I'm furious. I would be, like, he doesn't really, I'd be waving the gun in her face, I'd be like, you fucking, we're going now. I won't the be point. doing the whole phone thing. I'll be going, we're fucking going. The point where he says, well, I can't really go back now, can I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought seems, this is what you wanted. She seems to think, well, if I don't go, they're going to go, you know what? Fair play. You had us, but you haven't technically done anything wrong yet. Yeah. Yeah. You've just, you've just attempted a breakout and how people at gunpoint. Well, you got to realise the wife doesn't want it now. So can we just go back to as we were? And then, I mean, we'll speak about some of our other antics, but it is very good. The, the, the cat and mouse here. Genuine tension at this point. Yeah. Yeah, when you say her other antics, I'm assuming you're going to mention about the fact that she throws herself out of the car. <laughs> yes, I am, yes. Because that is furious. just ungrateful. I've also, put it, I get you'd be pissed. Isn't it? At least a thank you for the effort. And <laughs> he's gone to all this effort to get her out. In for a moment, he says, "Look, we're not going to be able to have our son here now. I'm going to make it work." Now, usually, I'd say you can't trust that, but he has just orchestrated a prison yeah, break. So probably guy. trust the guy. And the fact that you might not be able to have your kid means you're going to kill yourself, slow him down, and he's going to be on his own for for the rest of the time. Yeah, I'll tell you what is a happy ending: you throwing yourself under another car, the husband going to prison, a lorry. And the... Yeah, and the son just growing up without either parent. That's that's a fantastic ending, look. And he just brushes it off like, oh, that is classic you, that is. I'm locking the door this <laughs> time. Yeah, I was, yeah. The, they have a remarkable ability to reset this two, these two because he does, as you said, just switch under the carpet like they just have like a small row. If I tell you you've got to arrange a prison break, well, in fact, 
you've got to do the final stages. So basically, you're telling one to jump in the car before you drive off. It's her or it's uh, Bruce Willis's. Oh, yeah, in Pulp Fiction. Because I did, I did instantly think of that. Oh my god. I think you can get Elizabeth Banks in the car a bit easier than Bruce Willis than that. That's my blueberry pancakes. Yeah, I would have killed her there and then. I would have forgot any allegiance I had to her. That's outrageous. Um, we have her saying she did do it before then, which you've touched on. We later see at the end of the film that she didn't do it. Mm. How much of a disappointment was that for you? So... At this point, it's almost like, because maybe the thrill or whatever, it's like I'd forgotten about the actual crime itself. And maybe I just thought taking it as red as, well, she didn't do this. Um, so I wasn't expecting like a, a sort of throwback to it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then when they do get it, I was thinking, oh, hang on a minute. She's going to have actually done this. Then. They're go- You're not going to do a cutaway scene for any other reason. Uh, and then obviously the cutaway scene just showing she didn't do it. Yeah, I... I was disappointed, but at the same time, that was just like my own personal thing was that I would have quite liked it to have done it. Maybe that feels a bit sick, but I, for the film, I do think they're trying to give you like an uplifting ending, it would appear. Yeah. It becomes an entirely different film, obviously, if she actually did do it, and this has all been to help a murderer get away. My memory of the film was that you'd never found out. Yeah, and I, was I was just her saying I didn't do it. I was thinking that was where they were headed. Well, after she's said she did do it, which we then know is just basically just he's smothering her or she wants him to just leave her alone and have to spend she's the time. up in there, isn't it? Yeah, I liked the idea of her doing it and him just kind of having to accept it was because he couldn't be without it. Like, I liked that okay, dynamic yeah. in the film. And yeah. even if there's some reason she did it, it was an accident or any one of these things. Yeah. Or I wondered if he might, when they've got away, like find something that obviously proves she did do it. And he, as yeah, you like said, basic then, instincts like reveal at the end. Hmm, yeah. I did wonder if he might be heading that way, but and as a result, I think that probably does leave you open for the critics, doesn't it? Where you go, well, this was a bit of a, a bland finish in a way. Yeah. There, there is a lot of stick about it just being an easy ending. Um, there's kind right. of a lot of routes they could have gone down and it felt like they basically just didn't choose one they just kind of played it safe yeah just a lot of the things where basically any hurdle that goes in their way none of them make a difference the thing <laughs> with for a start if it is the other way around and it's him in a prison she definitely reads the invitation to see that they're at the zoo so I can't tell you my frustration that the zoo party <laughs> was the overlooked aspect of the plan. He's counted everything in other than that, that, that riled me. And then, I mean, and that, even having to go and get the sun, that felt like a, well, they're going to get caught as a result of this. That's going to be the, the thing that he nearly got away with it, but that was the thing that cost it. But then, like you said, it's basically that's just, add another 10 minutes to the film because there's no real consequence to an extra hurdle. It's just, okay, we'll figure it out. Is the most outrageous part of the film the fact that he's borderline offended that Olivia Wilde doesn't just assume his wife's in prison for murder? 
he's just beating around the bush going, yeah, she's actually not around that much. Yeah. See this or that. Oh, yeah. Priorities. Nothing like that. What do you mean? <laughs> no, she's nothing like... How the hell is she supposed to guess your wife? And then maybe, I understand you want people to believe you, but there's very little tacting going, she didn't commit the murder anyway. Yeah. Very much a sort of Shawshank style, yeah, we're all innocent in here, sort of feel to that. Like, oh yeah, of course she didn't. For as committed as he is for the whole film, he's got to at least at one point have thought, my life would be a lot easier to leave her in there and shack up with Olivia Wilde. <laughs> that is how this film actually goes. In, because... in reality, he goes, oh, fuck this, this is too much. Because it, it's not like he's got Jessica Alba behind bars and a piglet after him, <laughs> after him in the park. I was oh, thinking of naming girls. someone, and then I thought there's no name to say here where it's anything. Well, that sounded awful. much better. So that's fantastic. Well, okay. Well, it would have it would have been nicer to say in someone because then we'd have had a level of debate. Um, but it's not like there's like Elizabeth Banks, Olivia Wilde. You can have a preference there, but yeah. it's a lot easier to... You know what? I'll shack up with Olivia Wilde and uh, not do the prison break. And if we're talking about the nerve of his wife, when he says she didn't mention a zoo, she goes, she? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're thinking, hang on a minute here, love. I don't think you can doubt this man's commitment here. <laughs> She's outrageous. Yeah, but yeah. She probably cheats when they got away now. The day after. It'll be the day after. That's probably how this ends. Yeah. The worst, worst person. Re- redefines lack of gratitude. Yeah. The whole thing, yeah, I wrote down, as you said, would they not send out the pictures of the suspects? Um, Immediately, rather than waiting. Obviously not. Yeah, there was some peril, just not enough to ever catch them. It always felt like they were one step behind. Once they got out of the hospital, actually, there's a number of times in the hospital where you think they could get cut off here. Yeah. How are they going to do it? But once they're out, it's kind of fair enough. Like they get about pretty easy. I mean, the cop ends up running after the train. I mean, what is he doing? <laughs> I'm just watching it. I literally just said, what? As he goes out there, like, why would you ever do that? That's not going to happen. Films have pretty much just shown me the best way to escape the police is to just jump on a train at the last minute. Because yeah. even if you get on the train, you just keep walking down to the end of the train and the police just never catch you. Yeah, and then obviously they're not going to go, you know what? get someone waiting at the next stop for him. It's, no, no, you can get off of the next yeah. stop and run away and you'll be absolutely fine. And in this case, I'm not only not going to do that, I'm going to chase you on foot. My luck is I try that and I get Betty Blanco'd. That's just how these <laughs> things work. <laughs> the only, the other thing with the police as well is, again, it's a tough look for them. Look, countries with no extradition feels the most logical step. There's not that many for it for America. So you, you can f- hone in, right, what country are they going to be trying to be flying to that we don't have an extradition treaty with? Instead of that, they look at a picture of a palace that they think is in Haiti. So, well, that probably seems like there's somewhere they'll go, so we'll go with that one. And then they're absolutely stunned 
when it turns out that's not where they're going. That that's that's classic film stuff, isn't it? Where you go, do you wonder why we found one bag and not the other two? <laughs> well, yeah. Did you not think mention this an as, hour earlier? As they're doing this whole thing of like following these clues, how is it that the the idea of this being a red herring is only floated after they've been led up the garden path? Nobody has this idea before. This guy has planned everything meticulously, has no slip-ups other than the zoo, which they don't really know about in the police department. Yeah. Everything's been done to precision, but the idea that he might have just left a bag of clues behind is never seen as suspicious until after the event. There's so many, there's so many good things with the police. The one I note down is calmly when she walks up to the guy's desk and goes, you're never going to believe he's broken out of prison. <laughs> 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 like it's a bit of office gossip. <laughs> it, it's weird though because when we're talking about the things like this, that would usually be a part of a film that we would describe as fun. Like we overlook these things because it's a fun film. Hmm. When really it's kind of the opposite of that. The first hour and a half of the two hour 13 minutes is him cracking up because he thinks his wife is going to be in prison for the rest of her life mm. and him watching YouTube tutorials. Like not a lot <laughs> happens. No, it's true. But I also, I didn't think I felt bored. There was points where I was like, I'm not sure we need this, but I wouldn't say I was bored at any point. No, no, it was, I definitely say it was a slow pace. Um, and this sort of methodical build up, and you definitely thought they could sort of trim some of the fat, as you said, but, yeah. Whether it's just because it was the first watch for me or whatever, I certainly didn't think... I wasn't looking at the time thinking, oh, let's, let's crack on. I, I enjoyed it throughout. <laughs> and, yeah. and I still enjoyed it even with the plot holes that we put in. Yeah. So, when, the police are, when the police are questioning his dad, and he's like, we were out walking all day, and the policeman smiles like, my man, not breaking. Yeah. <laughs> I respect that. <laughs> Sir, you're in the wrong job, if that's what you, <laughs> if that's what you like. All right, let me just get... Something these... quite nice about the dad sort of uh, clocking on to what he's doing and the mum being blissfully unaware. Yeah. Something quite nice of that. Putting the tickets on top just to let him know. Good. Mm. Have a good one. Anyway, let's get into the uh, judging. So, yes. which film did you prefer? I think I actually preferred the next three days. I think I preferred Harry Brown, but it's close. Which do you think is more rewatchable? I think Harry Brown is more rewatchable, though. Agreed. What do you think is the best moment slash scene? So the difficulty with the next three days is, is basically the... It's sort of obviously the reveal of how he's doing these different things, his plan, is too big to just be a scene, isn't it? It's basically a, a chunk of the film that it kind of races through. So I, I get think, it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think you could pro- I probably, I mean, there's not really any rules as, as we've done this. So even if you just pointed out the reveal or something, mine, mine's going to be uh, when he gives the speech to the guy that's been shot about... Uh, the previous soldier that he's had to watch bleed out. Yeah, the drug den in 
add around the whole thing that's going to sort of get my vote, I think, if I couldn't do the reveal in the next three days. So I'll go with, yeah, when he goes in the trap then and there, I think that's probably sums up that film pretty perfectly. Best quote? Probably is that one from Michael Caine. Yeah, it would be that for me, or I didn't write down, but his explanation uh, when he's teaching the lesson in in class. But yeah, his his quote, when that slug's probably gone through you, <laughs> I, was, I was on board. MVP. Now, do you think this is tough? Yeah, because instantly I think like Harry Brown, but really I think Russell Crowe in the next three days, he does... He does have to do a lot more. I'm, I'm going yeah, to go with yeah. Who do you, I was going to say, who do you think has a tougher? Who do you think has a tougher job? Like he's if, got a tough assignment. I think I think it's uh, Russell in the next three days. Yeah, I also think his performance probably tips that film uh, to stop being it. Stop it being because of the flaws we've spoken about. Because of slightly slow pacing, I think if you don't have Crow, if you have someone slightly worse than him, that film could have really bombed. Yeah. Oh, do you think every time I see Elizabeth Banks in something, I can't believe you're not in more? But she seems. Yeah, that's a good point. Pop up. Like, I, I can pinpoint, like, memorable roles from her to, to varying degrees of success. Like, I mean, you can go the role models route, you can go the 40 year old virgin route <laughs> if you go that way. Man on a ledge is always one I think about. Yeah, she's obviously showing versatility as well. It can be funny, but can do this more serious stuff as well. So, yeah, you're right. Um, best side character. Mm. Good question. I'm Plumby? going Liam Neeson. Oh, actually, I had forgotten Plumby. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go Plumby. He's a bastard, but he's very yeah. good. <laughs> Which one had you more on the edge of your seat? I think the next three days did because I did agreed. Think that there's like jeopardy potentially they could get caught. I think you you feel pretty confident that Harry Brown's going to be killing people as long as it's last. <laughs> uh, action per minute. Harry Brown, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, best soundtrack. Harry Brown again. Yeah. Originality. Oh. neither are the most original ideas are they when you fundamentally one's an old gangster going back to his old ways one is a prison break eventually basically um maybe just on the basis that they flipped it and had the woman on the inside instead i'll go with next three days yeah i was leaning that way uh bigger impact am i being sort of Having a British bias and saying, I feel like Harry Brown is more spoken about. Yeah, I, I would go Harry Brown. Me and Keenan always say when we're unsure, if we just walk down the street now and ask 10 people, have you seen yeah. both of these? We think more would say we'd seen Harry Brown. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, best um, opening scene? Mm. Harry Brown. Yeah, that is carnage. Feels a bit, feels a bit dirty saying best, doesn't it? But it's, I'm surprised uh... with this era we don't have a reference to happy slapping, <laughs> particularly as they do film it on their phones. Yeah, which yeah, I don't know true. why he films it on his phone. Like you never really get an answer for that. 
I thought that was kind of like that happy subby thing, though, wasn't it? Where, I don't know, just something of the time where yeah. people would, the idea that people recorded things on their phones. Yeah, being kid as well, don't you? Yeah. Pussy off. Uh, <laughs> best ending. I don't really like either ending, to be no. honest. No, I don't. I think both almost feel a bit rushed endings in a way. Um, I think as much as I would have liked the next three days to go down one or two different paths, I do think for what they were seemingly trying to achieve, basically a bit of an uplifting happy ending, this was the only way they could have gone down. So I think I'd probably give it to that. I think it's effective for what they wanted to do. Yeah, I'll side with the next three days. I, I think I'd rather Harry Brown have died or at least something a bit more than it gets covered up like but then the next three days i mean i'll take everything before i did enjoy the going through the airport and everything there so we'll take yeah um most chemistry it's the next three days for me i think it probably is the next three days in the for all of just said how annoying Elizabeth Lancer's character is, but they do have good chemistry between her and Crow. Harry Brown really doesn't really have chemistry with that many people because yeah. the people he's close to obviously die at the start and his enemies, he isn't around that long really. So yeah. Ultimately, it didn't matter. It's 8-5 in the end to Harry Brown, so that goes through to the next round. Hopefully, Keenan will be back with us next week. We have Memento up against Good Time, and I've not seen either of them. Oh, nice. So we'll see how that goes. But thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.